Our reading from God's Holy Word comes from Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, a passage familiar to many here in this congregation. If you've been with us from the very beginning, those of you who are charter members of this uh, local congregation, you undoubtedly recall that 10 years ago we looked at this passage. And you remember every word that I preached on this passage 10 years ago, which is why I almost didn't choose it this morning, thinking, he preached on this 10 years ago, I remember it. Of course, you don't remember it at all, but nevertheless, this particular text, Ephesians chapter 2, is in many ways a namesake text for our congregation. Uh, this text, both this one and the one in First Peter, speaking to us uh, clearly and beautifully of the imagery of the temple, of we being founded upon the apostles and the prophets and their teaching, uh, they arising from the cornerstone, uh, even the Lord Jesus Christ, we risen together as the most beautiful architectural structure that has ever been built, fashioned by the very hands of God, we, the church of Jesus Christ, living stones, stacked one upon another to become a dwelling place for the living God. It's this text that Paul writes to the church at Ephesus to remind them of why the church is unique, special, distinct, has been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, has within it uh, the power of the resurrection. Uh, the church, this institution that seems to be always under attack, of which the prognosticators always calculating its demise, and yet one generation to another lives yet another day and grows because its power is not founded upon the institutions of men, it is not structured by the power of men. It is not energized and grown by the, uh, the wisdom and the insights of men. It is formed and powered by the Holy Spirit who dwells us even now as we're gathered here in this room. The one who has united us, who has called us the name Christian, and we together collectively, the church of Cornerstone Presbyterian Church. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. This is God's word. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came, and he preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to you, who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. 
you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together now grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we come before you full of thanksgiving and praise today. Humbled and astonished at your kindness. That a fledgling group of people of whom it might not look like we're much, you had set your love on from before the foundation of the world. And you have granted, as we have just read, your spirit called us out from the world into fellowship with one another to be founded upon Christ who is our cornerstone. You, even this group of people, some of which have been with us since the beginning, many of which who have come along the way in the journey, some of which are brand new to this fellowship, but all of which come under the banner of your love who named the name of Christ, founded upon the cornerstone, all of which will be built into a dwelling place for the living God. We come to you now and we ask you, send that Holy Spirit who alone is the interpreter of your word. Would you grant him in such great measure that he would enlighten the eyes of our hearts, that we would behold now beautiful, wonderful things from this your word. Meet with us, O oh God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you've ever traveled cross-culturally, you know what it's like to feel displaced. You know what it's like to not speak the language, to be confused by the cultural norms. You probably know what it's like to be in a city of which none of the landmarks make any sense to you. And every place that you turn, you are confused. You likely know what it's like to be overcome with that lonely, that lost outsider sense, to long to be away from such a place and to be home. It's a wonderful little book by Witold Rabinsky called Home, A Short History of an Idea. He says that to be home is the settled sense of satisfaction that overcomes us when circumstances come together for our ease, for our comfort, and for our general sense of well-being. When we hear that Home is for our satisfaction, our comfort, our ease, for our general sense of well-being. You likely have some place in your mind that, well, comes to mind. 
It may be that rocking chair on the front porch. It may be that easy chair next to the reading lamp. It might be a place of when you were a child. Sitting in a father or a grandfather or a grandmother's lap. A place that where all things in the world just seemed right. The famous Austrian architect Christopher Alexander would always encourage his clients who were building homes to enter an imaginative place called home. He would say, always dream your dream home by considering the places where you are most comfortable in this world. Imagine yourself on a winter afternoon with a pot of tea, a book, a reading light, and a favorite chair with a couple of your favorite pillows propped behind your back. The tea is just within reach so that it's easy to grab, but not too close that your elbow would knock it over. You pull the light down a little tight to your book, but not too brightly so that you would see the naked bulb. You take it in, you make yourself comfortable, you sip, you read, you dream. It sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Sounds like just the kind of place we want to be. The problem with, well, the sense of home is that we can be at home in this life and not be at home. We can be in a perfectly satisfying place where all of our comforts and our ease are orchestrated to the highest degree and be restless inside our hearts. We can feel terribly out of place when everything is in place. We can be in the perfectly homey environs and feel ourselves to be strangers in our own skin. In Ephesians, Paul is writing to a largely Gentile audience, a people who had lived in the same place, the beautiful ancient city of Ephesus, for many years. It's where they grew up. They knew all of the local haunts, the best coffee shops, the best pubs. They knew the place to go out when you were going out on the town. They knew that corner booth when you didn't want to be disturbed. They had inhabited this culture all of their lives. Their friends and families were on the left and the right. They had the white picket fence of the 2.5 children. They had, as it were, a dreamy life. They knew it all as their homey environs and Paul yet calls them here strangers and aliens. They were people who were far off. They were people who were, who were distant. Now when Paul says that, he's obviously not speaking of, well, their social environment. He's not speaking of their community. He's, he's not speaking of any cultural or familial ties. He's of course speaking in a much deeper and more profound way. He's speaking spiritually to them. He's referring to the well-documented facts that Gentiles, like good middle Tennessee folk, like you and me, Gentiles were people in times far off in the past, very distant from the Lord. As he described in the previous verse, those who were strangers and aliens, who didn't have share in the covenant promises of God, didn't have a relationship with the God of the Old Testament, even Yahweh himself, 
They were a people who were radically displaced. You know that deep, soulish sense of lostness that every one of us in this room, if we're honest, has known, may even know right now. It's not something that we're supposed to just stuff down deep inside and pretend it's not there. Some of us have tried to do that. It's impossible, isn't it? It always comes back. The ache of that reality comes back and it squeezes out in a lot of sideways behavior when we don't honor and recognize that even when we're home, we're often homesick. It also doesn't happen in the way that, well, sometimes we try to make it happen, especially here in the places where we are, Williamson County in North America, this blessed place in Middle Tennessee. We can't surround ourselves with all of the accoutrements, all of the comforts. We can't find a house great enough. We can't find a lake view well enough. We can't find a flower bed weeded well enough to make ourselves feel totally at peace. Oh, we can't surround ourselves with the creature comforts to where we don't realize that something is wrong down deep inside. Paul wants us to know that this out of place is actually a clue, a clue to the most important discovery that he wants to share with us in this text. You who are far off, he says, who have known that lost sense, in Jesus Christ have been brought near. That's what he says. Jesus has brought you near. Now notice it's a spatial reference he uses here. You were far off, you've been brought near. You've been brought close. You've been brought as an insider, you who are an outsider. You've been brought into a new home, a deeper home, a home that was made for you. A home that is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, not the ancient ruins of Ephesus, not even the beautiful downtown of Franklin, Tennessee. You have been built on that foundation that is on Christ, the cornerstone, a home that you've been made for. Look around Cornerstone Presbyterian Church, your home, it's called the church, the people of the living God, who've been bought with the price of Christ's blood. In Jesus Christ, by his blood, he has brought you near, he says. And we at Cornerstone want to know what it's like to be brought near. Close, real close. Every Sunday in every room, very close have we been brought near. It's more than geography he's talking about, more than the constraints of building. He's talking about a blood that unites us. that our future home in Christ, that we await when he returns in the new heavens and the new earth is even now by grace breaking in upon you and me. That this is a little outpost of heaven, this place called Cornerstone. The future glory of the coming kingdom shines and glimmers through you a sampling of the unity and the peace that we will enjoy unhindered and perfectly in all eternity. We get in snatches and fits and spurts, but true tastes and samplings as we fellowship as the body of Christ. We are now in the present fellow citizens, he says, members of the household of God. 
Now, you know, even if that is the case, and notice how Paul put it, you are these things. This has already happened. Our vagabond ways are still really close at hand, aren't they? The sin that so easily entangled us, that separated us at the very beginning of time from God and from one another is still very much with us, isn't it? The fullness of what it means to be a citizen of that new heaven and that new earth, that Jerusalem that's going to come out of the heavenly places. We have not yet experienced the fullness of that. But it's coming. We foretaste it now. But we sometimes in relationship, the reality of our relationships even now, we still feel something of that dividing wall of hostility, don't we? The Jews and the Gentiles knew that all too well. That's who, well, Paul is really speaking to here, isn't he? When he uses that phrase, the dividing wall of hostility there in verse 14, he's talking about the relationship between those who had received the covenant promises of God and were waiting and looking for its fulfillment and those who were Gentiles of which had no share in those promises. And he was talking about the enmity, the the bitterness, the tension that existed between Jews and Gentiles. It was, as he says, a dividing wall of hostility. It was actually that, believe it or not. Herod's temple actually had such a wall. A wall that separated out the court of the Gentiles from the rest of the temple. A wall that said, Gentiles, you are not welcomed into these promises. You're not welcomed into this fellowship. These ceremonies, these sacrifices, they're not for you. They're for us, the Jews. You're just Gentile dogs. Get on the other side of the wall. This was the spirit of the age. In fact, historians tell us, Josephus specifically, that inscriptions to that very effect were written on the wall of the Gentiles, separating them out from the rest of the temple inscriptions that ultimately indicated that if you Gentile cross this wall, do not blame anyone who ensures that you die. What a threat. Many historians question whether those inscriptions were true or just apocrypha from Josephus. Sometimes it's not sure if Josephus is fully telling the truth at times when we read him. But in the late 19th century, in an archaeological dig, we actually found a piece of that very wall, and those inscriptions written in Latin and Greek were indeed there, speaking to the quality of the enmity between these two groups. And we might think to ourselves, well, at least it was one-sided. Oh no, the Gentiles had no love loss for the Jews. In fact, you could almost hear them respond, why would I want to be on the other side of this wall with you? The further I can get from you, the better. I don't want to have anything to do with you. You people who have your own ceremonies, your own culture, your own promises, who look down your nose at everybody else. Do You see, this passage is teaching us that throughout the history of the unfolding of redemption, there has been a need because the people of Israel forgot the mission and call. As Abraham long ago had heard that he was to be and his progeny were to be an answer that the gospel, the truth of the promises of Yahweh, his covenant promises were to go to all the families of the earth. They had forgotten their mission. And they had taken the special status that the Lord had given to them as a badge of honor that separated and distinguished them out. It's not unlike church members 
who look down their noses at their unbelieving neighbors. It's not unlike the Reformed and Presbyterian type who sometimes even look down their nose at other Christians. Can I get an amen? Sometimes we're guilty of these things. This kind of hostility, this kind of division is no part in the body of Christ. We need someone to breach the wall. Enter Jesus Christ. He is the one who has come. The one who has come to unbuild the wall of hostility and to turn it, notice, into living stones that become a house for the ends of the earth. I love that imagery. The unbuilding of the wall of hostility. We're in a time that, well, is building walls, lots of them. They're getting narrower and and more tight as people draw their lines and, and create their fiefdoms, whether they're of the political sort or whether they're of the racial sort, whether they're of the economic sort. A time in which is fracturing left and right by virtue of, of special interests. Rather than taking to heart the power of the reconciling gospel that's come to us in Jesus Christ. Do you see that's that's the mission that we've been called into. A people where we are to be made as to one man, Paul writes in this text. Now, notice that. One man, he calls us, as if we are one together, Jew and Gentile alike. Male, female, slave, free, black, white, Republican, Democrat, poor, rich. All are to be under the banner of Christ's blood. He is the only reconciling force in heaven and earth. Only upon that cornerstone can the true dwelling place of God be found. You see, when we founded Cornerstone 10 years ago, the vision of this congregation being a, a congregation that would not simply do the work of church, but would inhabit the spirit of the gospel in such a way that whether you're coming from, from the northeastern part of the country, whether you're coming from the southeastern part of the country, whether you're coming from a red state or a blue state, whether your skin hue is a different color, whether your accent belies the area that you're from, that you were a part of the calling of the extension of the gospel kingdom of Christ to be welcomed in to the temple of the living God. That his call is to you. His call is to you. You see, Jesus has come to make us one new man. Now, when we begin to realize that this is the kind of vision that the Lord has given not just to Cornerstone specifically this is the text of scripture to his church we begin to realize there's work to do don't we that we want to become more like the city of God that we're called to be more like that city on a hill that light shines out of which the world is drawn we want to become more like it vision is always aspirational it's never fully what it is that we complete. 
It's what we are longing God to make us. That he would be pleased to dwell in our midst. One of the most astonishing sections in this part of Ephesians chapter 2 is it says that as we are built together, we're built into a dwelling place for God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that when we're together, God is dwelling with us? Do you believe that he's pleased with the the, the radical differences that come together around the unity of Jesus Christ? Do you see, where would the collection of, well, such a group, so to speak, come from other than the answer of the gospel of Jesus Christ? We actually want that kind of witness, don't we? Where it's not... It's not a special interest group. It's, it's not an affinity group. It's, it's just as a collection, a motley crew that you would expect who would be brought together only by the blood of Jesus. That's who we want to be. To be cornerstone is to say that the distinguishing mark of us as a people is that we are founded on the Lord Jesus Christ. We are founded on him. As important as it is to have sweet relationships within the body and to like aspects of the church's life and community, you know what's most important? Is that we share together in Christ and that he alone is our unity. Do you realize when you meet a brother and sister, no matter where it is that they're from, whether it's halfway across the world or your next door neighbor, you're meeting someone of which you will dwell with for all eternity? Someone who will be glorified in the presence of the Lord with you, lifting up their voice in praise to the King. To be a cornerstone church is to be a church that's as broad as the temple of the living God, that extends its welcome into the court that welcomes every kindred, tribe, tongue, and nation. He makes his home among us. When you hear that language of cornerstone, foundation, temple of the living God, I hope you think of the temple. I hope you think of that Old Testament temple because that's exactly what Paul had in mind. When Solomon had finished building that temple, we're told that the Shekinah glory of the Lord came down, the presence of the Lord came down and occupied the Holy of Holies, that God literally dwelled with his people at that point in time, first in the tabernacle, later in bricks and mortar, but that God has gone, as it were, into the hearts and the lives of people in the time and era in which we live. Do you see, you are the temple of the living God. He dwells with you, O oh people. That it's not a location. It's not a certain set of practices. It's the presence of God among you that makes you the people of God. Is God pleased to dwell with his people? Well, are we founded upon the cornerstone who is Christ? If we are, if the gospel of Jesus Christ is what's drawing us together, it's the presence of the Holy Spirit within us that makes us a home where comforts and ease and well-being become ours and a place that we will sacrifice for, a place that we will serve that it might be our own, that it might be God's own, that he might call us his house, the place where he dwells.
do you want to draw closer to God in the next 10 years? Do you want to see this local body become more intimate with the Lord in the next 10 years? Do you want to see the Lord transform lives in our community, transferring people from darkness into light as they embrace the call of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you want to see people radically different from us come into the fellowship of the Lord? Do you want to see churches multiply outside of the life of Cornerstone? Do you want Franklin to look more like the New Jerusalem? Then draw closer to the church and draw closer to Christ. Gather regularly for fellowship. Attend worship and drink in the means of grace. Volunteer in the nursery. Serve in Sunday school. Clean up after service. Make coffee. Be a greeter. Pass out a bulletin. Introduce yourself to shop owners and restaurant owners in downtown when you eat there and when you buy things. Pray. Pray for those in our community who don't know the Lord. Pray for those who name the name of Christ but haven't found a church in which they're committed. Be courageous and do the thing you know the Lord's calling you to do and you've been saying no for too long. Do you want to see the Lord do more in the years to come? Found yourself upon Christ and answer his call. Remember his faithfulness and rejoice in his grace and renew your heart to the vision of what he has called us to as his local body. To live for the glory of God and the good of our neighbors until Christ returns or until we close our eyes on this earth and open them up in heaven. While there is life, there is hope. But the night is far spent and the day is approaching. The fields are white with harvest and the Lord God is calling you faithful laborers into that field and he's equipped you. He's given you a body. You have his word, the means of prayer and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. May the Lord be pleased in the next 10 years to so radically blow our minds with the growth of his grace that we wouldn't even come close to being able to plot or plan what effective and fruitful ministry would look like because we would be so overcome by the surprising power of his grace flowing through us, granting to us revival and reformation for the fame of Jesus' name. Our time is now, friends. The Lord has given us a few years here to serve him. With the few years that we have been given, let's don't squander them on trying to look for a home where there is no home. Let's set our sights as pilgrims in a weary land on that land of Canaan that is coming when Christ returns. And let's gather with those whom we know love Christ and seek to serve him with us and let's long for more to join with us. And let's say to ourselves, let's do whatever it takes 
until we breathe our last, until we hear those words from our Savior. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the rest, enter into the home of your master. Cornerstone. Let's trust and follow Jesus Christ in the years to come. And let's watch him blow our minds and surprise us with his grace as he proves his faithfulness to us over and over and over until we see the cornerstone himself and the full of the throng of heaven together singing worthy is the lamb who was slain. What a joy to gather together all of us in this one room. It makes me long for the day when there'll be no constraints in the new heavens and the new earth. Seats for everyone in whom Christ is purchased, but no one seated. Everyone standing in praise and gazing upon the beautiful face of Jesus. It makes me long for that day. We will be there together, my friends. And many more whom we have yet to know, but of whom then in Christ we will know like we have never known before. Perfect as he is, in beautiful array, at home with the Lord. Until that day, let's put our hands to the plow. Let's serve the Lord and let's watch him build his church. Father in heaven, would you do that for Cornerstone Presbyterian Church? Today, as we celebrate 10 years, it feels like only the beginning of what you have in store for us, your people. Would you in humility cause us now to look back and realize that what you have done is not what we can take credit for. For the existence of this church is but a testimony of your grace and a picture of your great kindness. But Lord, we know it is just a small picture of the cosmic plan that you have in view. How would you have us now take up the same mantle that you gave us 10 years ago, but to take it up with fresh energy, with a renewed sense of vision, with a love, a deeper love for Christ and one another, that we might see greater things still in the years to come. Lord, would you now blow a fresh wind through this place and by the power of the Holy Spirit, Renew us for your call. Here we are, Lord. We stand, listening and watching, ready to go where it is that you have called. Call us, O oh Lord, and we will follow. Equip us for your mission, and we will go. Stretch us in faith, and we will trust you. We look forward to seeing what you have in store for us and what glory you have in store for yourself 
through us. Come and meet us in this word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.